0: Okay, friends, let's shout some worth and shift some narratives for people with Down Syndrome. Welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. It is July 2023, meaning it has been over three years since the COVID pandemic began. Today, we're going to be chatting about how our school systems were impacted by it. I mean, we're scratching the surface, friends, here. Who better to chat with than Larkin O'Leary and Emily King, representatives of the Common Ground Society. I'm very excited for this conversation that I got to have with them. Welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. Hey, friends, right around the corner is the National Down Syndrome's annual convention in Orlando, Florida. Raise your hand if you're going my hand is up. Josh's hand is up. Mason's hand is up. Truly's hand is up. Auggie's hand is up. We are going to be there. We're going to be exhibiting. So if you are going, you have to come to the exhibit hall. come say, Hey, we would love, 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 love to meet you. If you have books, I can sign them. If not, you can grab one at the, our booth and I can sign it there. And we've got some limited edition merch that will only be sold at this point at the convention. And you might even see Macy dancing in the hall. It's very, very likely that if you're gonna be there, you'll see Mason dancing. You also might catch August hiding under a table. True's gonna be running the booth like a boss. They're also gonna be attending their own programming. We will be there from July 20th through July 23rd. And the podcast is going to be presented with the Media Award, the annual National Media Award for the Lucky Few Podcasts. We're cheering for that as well. And we hope to see you all there. Okay, friends and listeners, I am here with Larkin O'Leary and Emily King. Larkin O'Leary is on Instagram as mamaalark12, and she runs a nonprofit, Common Ground Society, which is on social media at common.ground.society. What started as just two moms doing a presentation on Down syndrome in a preschool classroom has led to advocacy at over 90 different schools in five counties and a few trips to California's capital. Larkin will be doing a TEDx talk in March on fostering differences on common ground. She's also been on previous episodes of our podcast. We're excited to have her back today. She's going to be joined by Emily King, who is a presenter, common ground society, board treasurer, and a mother to a child with down syndrome. I'm very excited for this conversation. So grateful that they just, that they are joining us today on the podcast. We get to talk about them and the wonderful work that they're doing in our schools. Larkin and Emily, welcome to the lucky few podcast.
1: thank you it's great to be here again thanks
0: yes absolutely okay let's have you guys start with a little introduction of who you are and your family say who say your name ahead of time so our listeners can know whose voices are whose and then we'll start there let's start with you Larkin
1: Okay. Um, my name is Larkin O'Leary and I am mom to James. He's eight years old and was born with down syndrome. He'll be nine on St. Patrick's day. Um, James Allen O'Leary with this little red tuft of hair, a, little, a little <laughs> Irish man. Um, and, uh, June bell, who's three years old. And my husband, Peter and I are both teachers and have been for almost 20 years.
0: Very cool. And you're in California, right? Did you say that already?
1: And we are in Northern California in Sonoma County.
0: Okay, very cool. Emily, tell us a little about, about you.
2: So my name is Emily King. I have three kids. My oldest, Megan, has Down syndrome and autism. And then my middle daughter, Paige, is eight. And did I say Megan is 10? Megan's 10. Paige is eight. And Evan is six. And we also live in Northern California. Larkin uh, sort of roped me into her advocacy work so that's how I came to be with all of this
0: <laughs> oh I love that how did you two meet
2: so we met because our kids both had down syndrome and the, the down syndrome community in our area is really just really
0: wonderful so we met through that at like a down syndrome event or something or a do you remember yeah
1: no. I think it was the down syndrome I think it was one of the down syndrome probably walk, family walks or something like that yeah mm-hmm. Um, are you often try and run away together? Um, okay. so it's probably love at first sight.
0: <laughs> there. Are they in different grades? Cause they're eight and 10, your kids with down syndrome.
1: Yeah. Megan yeah. is in fifth grade. Okay. And James is actually in second grade. He, we held him back to TK instead of <clears throat> starting kindergarten at five.
0: Okay. Um, my nine-year-old is in second grade for a holding back reason as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So how then, well, I want to know how Emily, how you decided to step into common ground society, but before you answer that Larkin, if you can remind our listeners or tell them for the first time, a little overview of common ground society.
1: Yeah. So common ground society started just as a, 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 random one presentation in my son's preschool um, about uh down syndrome my friend jessica who's been on previous episodes with me um she and i went in did a presentation our local paper saw it and all of my school friends my teacher friends asked us to come into their classrooms too many classrooms so we started whole school assemblies and basically have been booked for 5 years now uh solid um we're even coming down to San Diego here pretty soon and then at the same time I was kind of looking for more support um although James was born with down syndrome and there's a huge down syndrome community you know, locally and worldwide. Um, James had a lot of medical issues. He's had like 30 surgeries and hundreds of days in the hospital. And I connected more with those one of a kind and rare diagnosis and medical people. So, um, I created a small local Facebook group of like 30 people we had met in the hospital and it's grown now to over 750 families. Uh, we used to just meet for like donuts and discussion. We dropped the kids off at preschool Last night, we had our very first siblings meetup, which was awesome. We do mom's meetups, dad's meetups, family meetups. We have um, an adult speaker series right now for teens and adults with disabilities. Um, We have a weekday caregiver meetup. We do hospital bags and welcome bags. So it's really just sort of taken a life of its own. And it's, um, it's pretty incredible.
0: And all of that is tucked under Common Ground Society. Yeah. I things. mean,
1: I believe that our disability community is never going to be fully supported unless our community understands how to interact with people they perceive as different from them.
0: Mm. Okay. I like that. Um, I love, I love a mom just starting something. And I love how in the beginning you guys called it just two moms yeah. and how we've had this conversation before, but there's this idea of like, for moms who stay home, like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm just a mom. That idea, like right. just a mom, like right. just a mom with is, a mom. Yep. is the best, hardest, most incredible job of all time. Yeah. So I, hey, I love right. these stories of moms just being moms and what yeah. comes from moms just being moms. Yeah. If we can change the world, you know, that's what we do as right. just moms. Right. Um, <laughs> You said, you said you guys are booked solid. What, how many are, how many presentations is that?
1: So we do two school presentations a week. So K through high school. Um, but then like this week we're doing a teacher in service. Um, last week we did Sonoma state pre teachers, So, um, we just are sp- two school presentations per week. And then on top of that kind of whatever else we, you know, have done Kaiser grand rounds, California SELPA. I, our orthodontics office here, I always say, you know, anybody who will listen, um, and, and help us start the conversation.
0: Very cool. And Emily, you are a presenter. So how did you get plugged in and involved with Common Ground Society?
2: So um, I during the early part of the pandemic, we actually moved into Sonoma County where we live now and where Larkin is. So as soon as I moved across the county line, she kind of <laughs> roped me in and asked me to sort of get involved. And then she called me one day and said, oh, I'm talking to some middle school students. Do you want to come? And so I sort of looked at the presentation and I said I would come. And then I think it was like the day before or maybe when we got there that she told me it was the entire middle school gym full of students. Nice. Um, (laughs) So that was how I started. And I just, I really, it's really fun. We we really enjoy it now. So I'm glad that I have the flexibility and time to be able to do it.
0: I know we're going to talk about the COVID pandemic and how it's affected schools. And I'm going to throw one at you guys though. If you can tell me and our listeners, like a brief overview, this is what is happening at a middle school or any school. You just had said you're at a middle school presentation. This is what we're doing in a presentation. This is what's being presented. Can I throw that question to you?
1: Yeah, so um, our presentations vary based on audience, like TK through second grade is a little different than third through sixth grade, which is vastly different from our our seventh through high school presentations that we do. So in our our elementary school presentations, um, we have multiple. The first one focuses more on visible disabilities. And we talk about like strengths and challenges and that we all have them. And even if someone looks different or talks different or acts different or walks different, like we all have things we're good at. We all have things we have challenges with. Um, And we talk about a book, Faith Has Freckles and Walter Has Wheels. Um, And I actually just wrote a book that we're going to kind of shift that book in um, want to play um, and it's about people with visible disabilities. Um, and then we challenge our kids to be the one. Um, and we have kind of a statement. Uh, you would see it as all over our social media. Be the one to be caring and kind. Um, don't stare. Show you care. Um, it's OK to notice and just like just smile and say hi. Right. That's that's our big our big statement. And stand up if you see someone you perceive or you see someone being left out or mistreated. Um in our second presentation, we focus on invisible disabilities. So we talk about like Tourette syndrome, autism, dyslexia, ADHD, all sorts of different things, um, and just help start the conversation about that, uh, in that we all have similarities and differences, um, relating it to apples, right? There's all these different kinds of apples in the world and they're all different colors, shapes, sizes, right? Um, but some of them are better for apple pie and some are better for apple juice and some are better for, um apple cider, right? Like they're all, they're all different and have something beautiful to bring to the world. And we read the book, Just Ask, and talk about the different characters in that book. Um, and for our middle school presentations, we talk about the story of our lives. And we share about how we are just like normal human beings who like we're having a life and we had a vision, we had a dream and all these things we're going to do in our lives. And then, and then things have sort of shifted as they do when you get older. Um, and, you know, we never imagined having a child with a disability. And now it's like time to just kind of shout the, shout the worth of those kids. Right. And that they're all like, we're all human beings who deserve to be accepted and included. And, um, and we give them the tools to do that. Uh, creating that connection with us allows them to ask us those questions that, um, not everybody wants to be asked questions when they're out at the grocery store. Um, and so we encourage them to, to give them to us and, uh, that way they will feel more comfortable when they're out and they see people who are different from them.
0: Very cool. That was very helpful to get that picture. And I need, I need you at my school. My yes school. yes <laughs> five years out that's what we're booking
2: yeah
0: no okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so when my daughter graduated high school yeah um, just, good. okay <laughs> let's shift over a little bit to how the COVID pandemic has affected inclusion in schools and i remember as we were like in the depths of it and california listeners if you are not in california Every state was different. In California, we were out of school for an entire school year, um, which wasn't the case for a lot of for a lot of other states. And but there was a lot of talk of how we have this opportunity. We education system, whoever's involved, parents, kids, teachers, all of the powers that be. We have this opportunity to view education so differently. And then we go back and I am and only a couple years post that part of the pandemic. And my experience is that things aren't different in a, any way that what could have benefited not just our kids with Down syndrome, but every single kid in the school. What happened to you guys? How did the COVID pandemic affect inclusion in schools? Do you want to start,
2: Emily? So um, I think, I mean, I, I want to start by saying I'm not, I'm not a teacher and I, and I don't work in schools other than what I do with Common Ground. So I don't have the experience of someone who has to try to run a school but my kids have been in school for a while now and what i think what i've noticed is that we have within our school system so many adults who want so desperately to help kids learn and they they love kids and they want to be involved with kids but schools are structured around adults and there're so many things in schools that are structured around the convenience of adults and i mean that's necessary right we can't have we can't have teachers teach starting at 4 a.m. because that's when my kids like to wake up and learn right sure. like we, sure. there, it, there's reasons why it has to it has to work for adults but um i think it's it's something i call adult problems that just get in the way of what really is necessary and best for kids. And I think that through the pandemic, everyone was so in crisis mode all the Mm -hmm. time that trying to address those problems and put more change on adults than had already happened, I think was just too much to do at that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think like, um, You know,
1: the thing that's hardest for me thinking about the pandemic and thinking about you know all that happened, um, like our system was already broken before that, right? California has been so far behind. We have had people come from Missouri, like literally a state named Missouri, but Missouri, right? (laughs) Who like their their educational system is like so far ahead of where we are when it comes to inclusive practices and. You know, one of the things Emily and I often were we were talking with our state senators and our local government trying to get a shift in education to these universal design for learning practices and focusing on kids strengths instead of focusing on we need to get this test done and we need to we need to drill them and they need to get up to grade level standard. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is right now here in Sonoma County, at least and and down there, I'm sure like our kids have not only been through the pandemic floods fires, right? Snowstorms now, like what's happening? I don't Mm -hmm. even know. Um, but all of these things on top of their already like trauma that they've gone through individually, those are all barriers to education. Mm -hmm. And so we think about the way that we teach when we think about lecturing and we teach about like, I always talk about Shelly Moore, who's this incredible human being that I like pretend she's my best friend. Um, she talks about teaching the headpin, right. And not to the, like she thinks that we should be teaching to the kids that are the hardest to reach. And, um, that will help include everybody in the curriculum. And I've noticed a lot of teachers who are just scared to make that shift, um, from doing, here's what I do in May, right. Here's my May folder to like, okay, these are the students I have this year and this is what's going to work best for them. And, I have this unique perspective of being a teacher for almost 15 years before having my son. And, you know, I will shamefully admit that I was that teacher that, like, believed that those kids, like, belonged in a different class. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand how I could possibly teach this wide gap when it, when someone would come in with a diagnosis. But the truth of the matter is all of our kids are there. All of our kids are in different spots in their learning. And so right now is the perfect time To hone in on kids' strengths and focus on what they're good at to help scaffold the things that they need more help with. And um, I just don't think our educational system was supported and teachers were supported enough and given the correct supports to continue um, trying to work towards this uh, change in education.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, And you meant all that. There's a woman we had we've had on the podcast before, Jalandra Na- Davis, who's spoken more about social justice issues. But she talks about how when we center the most vulnerable, how that is, if we start there, then that affects everybody positively, rather than marginalizing the most vulnerable, which is what you're right. saying. You know, like you focus on what happens if you focus on the kid right. who needs the most attention, and we structure our entire class around that kid. Right, everyone's going to benefit instead of that kid missing out because they don't fit within the structure. And then something, I think, Emily, you had said something about with the adults. What did you say about the adults are centering themselves? Is that what, is that? Well, I think
2: think that so much of our our school system is built around the convenience of adults.
0: Okay, that's, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, Yeah. Which makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, it, and it, it's so necessary for so many things. Right. I mean, we can't we cannot discount the adults in the system. They're really important and they make yeah. it work. But um, just the, the sheer number of of things, you know, where you have a special day class on a campus, but the OT who works with those students isn't employed by the same district as the campus where they are so that ot can't push in and do group sessions with the students in the special day class and the students on the campus and so there's just these these adult problems that get in the way of so many opportunities Mm. especially opportunities that would allow us to leverage the the supports that so many students have Um, that increasingly other students need because Mm. we don't have enough adults there there aren't there isn't there aren't enough teachers there aren't enough paras there aren't enough specialists and it's and our system just somehow hasn't figured out how to come up with these creative solutions as a whole we just have individuals coming up with creative solutions And teachers are so good at that. So why don't we, why don't we use them to help the system come up with creative solutions?
0: Yeah, yes, totally. I see this all the time. Teachers, educators, y'all are the most creative people on the planet, right? Mm -hmm. Like so creative. So let's, let's do it. We can do this, you know, like we can do this. I was an educator before too, so I'm going to call myself a we. I want to share with you guys that I, that I was listening to there's a, a couple of women in Southern California who are social justice lawyers and they work in IEP law. Yeah. The inclusive, inclusive education, education project. Department. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Vicki, Brett and Amanda, Amanda, I'm sorry. I can't think of your last name at this moment. We're actually working with them. We've hired their, them as lawyers for us as, and personally this year, this isn't like a secret. Anyways, I was listening to one of their podcasts and, and they were saying, I quoted it. I, sent it right back to making a text because I'm like, ah, she says, all the time we go into IEP meetings and we're seeing our kids at like the problems our kids have, right? Like these are the problems the problems. And I think you can even say this in any, any classroom setting. If a kid doesn't fit that mold or isn't easily doing the things that they're supposed to do, then they're the problem. And she said, we'd never come to the table. We need to start asking, how are the adults in the room contributing to that child's challenges? Right. How are they like that? Let's ask that question first. And again, not to put, to put down educators in any way, like you're saying, it's adult centric because it's created by adults. And no matter how much we, put, like we want someone else to be in, in the center of it, if, it's, if we're the ones creating it, then of course it's gonna be adult centric. But that awareness piece, like to say as an educator, oh my gosh, I see it. I see that this is the case. If you don't see it and you don't take the time to recognize that, have that awareness and you can't move forward there's no moving forward without a recognition of
2: the right it's
1: like having you gotta like have that connection to it i mean that was james was my mindset shift in in educational practices i mean once i had him and i saw he was like two and a half and you know the there's the down syndrome foundation of orange county or something and they have these like great this great like learning lab thing Mm -hmm. where you can download cards. And he was like two and a half matching the word teacher to the picture teacher and the word red and colors and like 30 words, you know, he was two and a half. And I was like, whoa, oh my goodness. Right. And that was kind of my mindset shift to like, oh, I mean, sadly, but it's true. Like, oh, all like I should look at the individual and you just unless you have connection to disability, it's really hard to understand that, you know, it's hard to understand anything unless you have a connection to it. I mean, as a teacher, one of the things that I did, I had a um, a student who was blind in my class, and he. Uh, so I was teaching United States history uh, in maps, and I was like, hey, "This is, uh, you know, normally mm-hmm. you're like, like oh, look over here. Do you see this?' Right? Um, but I really had to change my language for him." Mm-hmm in the top left of this corner, the top corner of this map, you know, there is a giant mountain range. And when you as you come further into the map, there's the valley and blah, blah, blah. Right. I I use more descriptive language. And I mean, I had one of my very best students come up to me at the end of class and tell me, that it it helped her so much to be able to visualize what I was talking about. She would have gotten it anyways, right? But like having that visual is something that she like still I got a message from her like two weeks ago about how she still remembers when we would talk about maps and how different it was when she would go to different classes. And so it's it's having that connection and that awareness of the fact that it is helpful for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't work, like don't give up. Right. Like sending a kid in a classroom and saying, saying, oh, and, you know, I tried. (laughs) I tried. It doesn't work. Right. Like we don't get to choose our students. We shouldn't get to choose our disabled students. We shouldn't get to choose any of our students. Right. There are students. There are students. And uh, so we need that ongoing support as well, not just. A a two week thing in UDL, but rather like ongoing questions and answers. And how do we support a community of educators? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say a thing too, in regards to all of that, that people might be mad at me for, and I feel a little bit shameful about it even. So I was a special ed teacher. I have two teaching, I have mild, moderate, moderate, severe California teaching credentials. I taught special education at the high school level, high schoolers and young adults in a separate life skills program. And so I was connected to disability, right? And I deeply loved my students, deeply, deeply all of them. And I, I believed that I saw them as fully human and capable. I believed that this about myself then. And then I remember Macy came home. So fast forward, Macy comes home. I stopped working. Macy's my oldest daughter with Down syndrome. And I was doing the same learning program that you were talking about Larkin with the cards and the pictures and everything. And I didn't even start introducing her to it until around five or six years old, because I just assumed, of course she can't, because of what had been communicated to me as a special educator as a special educator. My, I was not assuming, presuming competence for my students or disabled people. Like I, I, who I was as a special educator without a child with a disability versus who I am now. If I were to go back into special education and, and, and I love special educators, you're listening and I love you. And there are incredible educators out there who are connected. They get it uh, thousands, right? There's, but I watch my kids go through school and I'm like the special educators don't see my, they don't see it. They can't see my kid as full human. Right. And they're they're the hope here. They're the right. ones who are training the other teachers. Right. It's working.
1: I mean, I'll tell you, that's what's so special. I feel like about Sonoma County and about at least specifically where James is. James is in the school district. My husband and I, I taught I taught in. he's still teaching in he's at the school my husband and I met at, uh, he's in the classroom. Actually, I ended, or I stopped teaching at that school <laughs> and which is so weird, but, um, you know, being like a smallish town, his teacher is, I went to high school with her. And so we can have those open and honest, hard conversations of like, okay, so this is what's happening. Like, what do you do? Right. Like those hmm. conversations where the teacher isn't afraid to, to say like, I don't know, you know, or On the flip side, she was saying something the other day. It was so amazing during this um, conversation about communication. And she's like, you know, James is really agreeable. Uh, And I realized that um, when I don't understand what he's saying, I often will say, yeah, yeah, right? We've been modeling to him that when he doesn't understand something to just say, yeah,
2: wow, wow.
1: right. And it, it like clicked in my head and I was like, oh my gosh, me too, you know? And we were able to have that moment together where these people, and that's the difference is when the people see your kid and see them as a human being as a and human. as just a kid, like they're just kids, yeah. all of them.
0: Yeah, yes. Our Our best experiences with inclusion have been with teachers, Jenna teachers who have said, Upfront, I've never done this before. Yeah. I'm terrified. Yeah. I don't know what to do. What do we do? Yeah. You know, that honesty and that starting point of like, hey, I've actually never done fifth grade either with my right. daughter in genetic classes. Our first <laughs> right. time, too. Let's right. figure it out. And that yeah. starting, there, instead of like being afraid to do the wrong thing, they're like, I'm yeah. doing the wrong thing. We're doing the wrong thing. I right. think it, it's freeing and it's such a good starting point of like, right. let's address the, what's not working. Let's address what's hard. Let's not ignore it or try to pretend or put a band-aid on it like we gotta we gotta see it you know speaking of what's hard (laughs) and addressing what's hard okay what you guys what happened after the pandemic let's go back to this post-pandemic world of inclusion why do you why in your expert experience and what you're seeing why do you think we didn't make big changes when there was this opportunity to do so
1: I mean, from from my standpoint is everyone was so overwhelmed that it felt easier to just go back to exactly what we were doing and people and be focused on catching them up, right? But, like, mm. but that's where our mistake was. We didn't take the time to catch them, like emotionally catch people up and, and come together as a community. I mean, we did, but it didn't feel like people took the time to actually get to know their kids because they felt so rushed by you know state standards are coming back so we're going to have to like take the test soon and all of those kinds of things that's what really felt like we just didn't take the time to look at what we're doing and and add some visuals just one lesson add add some alternate seating just a
2: part of the day right
0: yeah
2: and one of the things that i think what was so hard coming back is that I mean we were so we were at least where we are, we were fully out of school for the full next school year and then part at the full next school year, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, we were out of school for a really long time. Yeah. And even so my daughter, um, she is in a in a special day class. She I mean she was out of school the whole time too. She got no in-person anything. Um and then when they went back, they still weren't allowed to mix classes. So there was no mainstreaming allowed. So by that time, you know, my my daughter had gone from 7 years old to 9 years old, not interacting with any typically developing kids other than her siblings. Yeah. So I mean, what how do you do how do you take a child who hasn't been in a classroom for so long and then their peers haven't been no one's been in a classroom they don't know her she doesn't know them they've never even seen each other and then they're not allowed to you're not allowed to mix classes anyway i think that that was part of what was hard and that allowed that allowed us to really especially with the special day classes revert straight back to the old model Hmm. um just in a really in an even more restrictive way than it was before the pandemic because mainstreaming wasn't an
0: option anymore. Yeah. Like everybody was being restricted from each other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm not anti-masks in any, any shape or form, but even I, I felt like my kiddos with speech delays wearing masks every single day. And it, I mean, it, even just like being in a room all day with everybody wearing masks, there's such a disconnect socially in conversation and, um, and well, in California, like it was
1: this, hearing like, totally. like kids who can't, who rely on lip reading.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And in California, we were almost at least the first semester, almost the whole next school year in masks all day. Um, and so it was, I feel like the year after the pan, after the year of social distancing that next year was the hardest year of school for my kids ever. Like, like last was, year? Yeah. Last year. It was horrific. Like I would, I would have rather done distance learning another year. It was so bad. It was so bad. But that is neither here. Well, it is sort of here and there. We just don't have to get into the weeds of it. Okay.
2: But I think that that's yeah. the I think that how awful it all was speaks to why it was so hard to have a rational conversation about looking at what we changed during the pandemic and changing moving forward because everyone was just so upset by what was going on mm. that we couldn't. We couldn't really stop and take stock. Be- and and I've noticed this, especially with the the quick pivot away. From, I mean, right. For so long distance learning was the only way we could do anything. It was totally compliant with all of the rules. Everyone had to do it. It was great. And then all of a sudden distance learning was no longer allowed for even the students with IEPs whose families really wanted them to do it, mm-hmm. for whom it really worked. All of a sudden it was, no, you can't do that anymore. So there is this this idea that that we tried distance learning and it didn't work and it's the same thing that larkin was saying with inclusion where we put a kid in a classroom we don't fully support them it doesn't work and we say oh we tried it it didn't work yeah. instead of having a calm or having a, a rational discussion about what we can do to change it and i totally understand why in 2021 when we were talking about going back to school, we couldn't have a calm, rational discussion because everyone was in a state of chaos.
0: But I think it's
2: it's hard that we didn't do that.
0: Oh, it's such a mess It's such a bummer. And it is like, how would we have done it? And it would have been so radical. I think that's it too. People don't know how to do things that are radically different than what you're used to doing. So it makes a lot of sense. Teachers, the entire system didn't have any capacity for these conversations. Not even that they were hard. They were different. And important and meaningful and it would have shifted things. Yeah. For I think for the better. But there's there is no capacity. There's no space for that. It's just let's go back to quote normal.
2: And, and part <laughs> of that is because we failed during the pandemic to look at ways we could have reimagined the one teacher 30 students model. Right. When we're doing distance learning and a teacher is teaching a lesson on Zoom it's not necessary to limit the audience to 30 students. Why can't 500 students from the district all listen to that five-minute segment? Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously, during distance learning, students needed small group stuff. I'm not trying to claim they didn't, but we just, we needed to figure out a way to give some teachers space to be reimagining all of it while other teachers were handling the distance learning. And it seems like we just try to fit traditional school into a computer and then move back to traditional school.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly what happened. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's such a it's such a waste. It was such a waste. I mean, my husband, when he did it, he's teaching sixth grade and him and his teaching partner both taught the lesson each lesson together so they combined the classes on Zoom and then one of them was in the audience, like fielding questions like co-teaching. You know, I mean, what there's, there's another great model of teaching called flipped classroom where, and this was what I started doing before I ended up resigning from teaching, but um, where you teach the teaching part of the lesson, the lecture part of the lesson, you make a video of it, right? You said that's, that's the homework where the kids take the notes just as you're showing them do it, just like everyone does it. And then when they come to class is when they practice it. And when you can have little mm-hmm. small groups of kids who need the extra help or need the support, because inclusion when we talk about inclusion we're not talking about just kids with disabilities right like the high achieving students are also like having a negative experience from this because they're not excelling and growing as they should be like this is not just a conversation about disability it's about like all of the kids in the classroom high achieving low achieving if we're just teaching to the middle you know there's um a TED talk i heard about this guy was talking about okay I think it's jet seats. I could be wrong, but it's something about like the myth of normal and how they found all of these different pilots, right? And so they built a jet seat to fit the the middle of the lane, but not one person fit in the seat. They were either too big or too small because there is no normal, right? And so then when they, they had to redesign the plane, to fit more different people blah 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 it was like a recent ted talk that i saw but it's so true it's the same thing with education like we need to be realizing that we all take in information in different ways Mm -hmm. it needs to be given to us in different ways and we need to be able to like show what we know in different Mm -hmm. ways i mean when we were like learning about james and i can understand his speech he's still pretty unintelligible but he's he's getting better but um you know, in first grade, they were trying to assess his knowledge of sight words. And James is a smart kid. And they sent him this giant packet of all the words he didn't know. And she's like, yeah, he doesn't know these words. He he can't say them. And I'm like, but he like can't talk. So like, we have to think of a different way for him right. to show you what he knows. And so together, you know, and that was like one of the great things about having these conversations together, we decided like, let's put out an array of sight words and have him pick the word you say. Right. And that way he was able to show. Right. Her. He ended up earning, earning like the word wizard award. Right. Because he was able to do it. Um, so it's just like reimagining, reenvisioning re-envisioning and then, and then trying, I mean, that's the best part about computers, right? Command Z. Let's like command Z. If it didn't work, just command Z and try again. Um, Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's good. So then, ladies, the big question is, what do we do? What needs to be done? So like practical ways that schools in this post-COVID world, which is strangely feels like just a more stressed out version of the typical world of education pre-COVID. That's what I think it is. (laughs) A more. Yeah. What do we do? What do schools do? Practical ways that schools can be more inclusive.
1: I mean, my first thought and always statement is, you know, working with universal design for learning practices and um, not like revamping your entire lesson plans, but like one adding visuals to one lesson a week, adding alternate seating, adding different kinesthetic work, Thinking of allowing kids to show what they know in different ways. I mean, if you ask a kid, if you make your whole class write essays to show you what they know about the American Revolution, the kids who can't write essays are going to fail every time, even if they know everything about the American Revolution. And so I think it's really revamping what are what are we assessing? What is important for them to be human beings in this world? And really focusing on that. I mean, we can't move forward unless we know we're like cared about and seen, you know, people just
2: don't care unless mm-hmm. they, they know that they're cared about. Yeah. yeah. I think that the biggest, the, fir- the, the first step, I think, is not a small one, but it's a mindset shift about what what are we trying to do with these students? <laughs> what, I mean... What is our goal here? Because, I mean, you know, you mentioned essays, Larkin, and, and we now have technology where I can go to my browser and ask it to write an essay and it will produce a, a reasonably good essay that I can spend 10 minutes editing and is, is done. So. What do we do? Do we pretend that doesn't exist? I think we we have to be excited about educating the the. Kids that are going to live in the future that we've created for them. I mean, we made this whole mess for them, they and they have to live in it. And so we Mm -hmm. have to figure out a way to to get them ready for it. And so I think so much of it is just reimagining what we're doing and trying to stay away from the tradition for the sake of this is how we've always done it because Mm -hmm. that the fact that we've done it that way before doesn't mean it's a good answer necessarily. Um, I think that the most tangible thing that I can say I wish that people are doing that, I think we need to be doing right now, is to leverage the adults that are there in a cre- in, in the most creative way you can. So, um, like I said, my daughter's in a, in a special day class. She is one-on-one with an adult based on what's in her IEP for almost the whole school day every day. So there's a second adult that comes with her all the time. Why is that second adult usually in the special day class with her? Why not? be in the general ed class that would be better for the the students in the general ed class because they're normally 30 kids with one adult they don't they don't normally get more adult attention um and so I just I really hope that schools can look at what they're doing and think about why the last one I'll say is that I think that every I think that um sometimes when we're talking about I know your question is about practical things, but sometimes when when we talk about this, it all feels so big and hard. And so we say, okay, yes, but change takes time. And like, I get that change does take time. But in the meantime, every single day, our kids are being fed a curriculum based on what we're doing right now. So what we are doing today, right now, while my kids are on a campus where there's no special day class, because all those kids ride the bus somewhere else, mm. every single kid on that campus is learning a really powerful lesson about the place of disability in our world. Yep. And I, I cannot stress enough to the teachers and administrators that I really hope that we can get to a point where that can be acknowledged without being defensive. I get why it's done that way. I'm not blaming anyone for it. I'm just saying we all need to look around and realize that it doesn't make sense and that it's teaching everyone a really bad lesson. Yeah. Um, cause I think, I think we have to find a way to acknowledge what, that what we're doing right now is so problematic without feeling defensive about it. It's, and it's hard. I mean, I, we've all done things where we feel defensive, but we have to try to push past that and figure out a way to change it. <laughs>
0: Yes. The fact that it's important. always been done this way is not a good
2: answer.
0: Yes. Emily, that's so good. I, I describe the educational system as like, I think, I think what's missing, um, is belonging a foundation of belonging. You said, Emily, like it's a mind, sh- it's a mindset shift. I think the, the answer is like the, it's massive and it's small and there needs to be a foundation of belonging for every human who steps into a school and instead of like recognizing that that doesn't exist that in fact our entire educational system was built on the opposite as an exclusionary system for certain people that are allowed in and certain people not up until the 70s dear friends and even still so like we have to rip that out not keep band-aiding it and we've just got all these band-aids and all these like wounds it's such a gross analogy gushing out and our kids are the ones being wounded you know and and if you don't. I don't even need my kid to be in a genetic classroom. I need her to walk onto campus and be seen as fully human by everybody on that campus. And we're perpetuating the opposite ideas by exclusionary education. This is what we're doing. And everyone's all defensive about it. You know, like not everyone, but the powers that be are defensive about it. And I don't change is slow. And I feel like I'm a real pessimist in this, but I don't think my kids are gonna experience inclusion in education. Maybe my grandkids, Maybe their kids, you know, like we there's such a resistance to that recognition of what it is and how harmful it is for every every human. there's such a resistance, to that recognition that that has to happen first, and then we gotta take those um diggers and dig up that foundation and plan let's put something new down that we can all thrive on, and it's overwhelming, obviously, we get fired up about it, right because we're experiencing it In a way that in the ways that are really harmful we're seeing it clearly we get that we've got the microscope to that because we have our kids. we see it for our kids, but we can see it for everybody else too, like right? right like you guys you have this whole program you've started because you know it's not just about your kids it's about every kid at the school um learning alongside each other and so I love with that, I want to say, I love how you talk about be the one because then it feels tangible, right like then it feels practical can you Let's let's kind of wrap it up with that idea Um, and then anything else that you want to share that we've missed about telling our listeners who are educators and parents mostly what empowering them. Let's give them some power of be the one in this hard situation of our schools.
2: So for so many kids and I mean, I've done this to my kids too. What we teach them about people who are different or disability is don't stare, right? Don't stare. We're going to go over here. Don't stare. Don't stare. Don't stare. Don't stare. That's all. That's that's all that some people have been taught about people who are different. And so, giving kids a really explicit framework about what comes after don't stare, because it's not just don't stare. I think it's, it's just so powerful and important. Larkin's great at explaining it though.
1: So. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean. What comes after don't stare? Show you care, right? How do you show you care by just smiling and saying hi, right? Asking questions to find similarities, we can find similarities with just about anyone, right? Like you like chocolate, I like chocolate. Like let's eat chocolate together. What if they can't or don't talk back? That's okay. There's usually someone there can, who can help. Maybe they communicate in a different way, and even if not, we are certainly appreciate being seen because we all like to feel like we matter, right? And lastly, uh, stand up. If you see someone who's being left out or mistreated, you can be the one to invite them to join you. Um, And with this whole talk of normal, I mean, look around, friends, even these Mm. three, right? We are all different. We all have different strengths. We all have different challenges. We are all different. And so why we don't take the time to get to know each other, hone in on those strengths and work together to better our world. I mean, that's what belonging is all about, is like Mm. being able to be who you are being celebrated for that and being able to use your strengths to help, like help with your deficits. Right. And so um, when students are sent over there, we are, we're teaching this like unwritten disability curriculum and that outlines a narrative of how we view the disabled. And if we're going to, if we're going to shift mindsets, people need to understand that all of us are human beings, human Mm -hmm. beings first and we're all different. There's no normal. Like it's not a thing. Mm-hmm. That word should just buy. I don't, I don't really understand. What that means. I mean, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. When it comes to humans, let's take that out of the, the next Yeah. Topic. Yeah. Yes. Well, ladies, I just applaud you and the work that you're doing and how you took this, just being a mom and caring about your kid and turned it into a movement that it, I know is making positive ripples and waves that I don't think that you'll ever understand how big those are. And, um, booked out for five years, you guys, I was going to say, reach out, but maybe you need, we,
1: we have been booked for five years. We are not, we haven't started booking for next school year yet.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. I misunderstood.
1: You can get on our, uh, get on our mailing list. Um, but we are, you know, we are coming down to San Diego, uh, to do like all of our presentations. Um, soon so if you want to see what we do i don't know how far away you are from where we're going to be but
2: yes that
0: could work i'm i'm about two hours from san diego but that's not like eight hours like i am from sonoma county yeah well <laughs> but, she's <in> the States. <laughs> yes i would love that i actually pro. i'm actually going to be up in sonoma county a lot this year and oh, cool. it might even work to come up there yes yeah you should i would love to i would love to come check it out yeah. well we're going to take a moment to Take a break, hear from our sponsor, and then we're going to come back with some good news. If you guys have some good news you want to share about your child with Down syndrome, we'd love to hear it. Um, before we do that, friends, if you want to listen to more episodes with Larkin about Common Ground Society, episode 91 and episode 70 is where you can go for that. Um, and both of those we will have linked in the show notes as well. So we'll be right back. Okay, friends, time for some good news. Truly bring it in. Time for good news. Time for good news. Everybody, welcome to the good news.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, Emily, let's start with you. Do you have some good news to share about your daughter? I do have some good news. Megan can jump.
2: Yes, and this is it cute. is the most amazing, wonderful, fun thing, and she loves it. And yes. it's just great that that's awesome. We were just talking about that. Her yep. having a hard time with that. I'm so happy yep. that. Yay! It's great. That's awesome. It's really fun, and it's it's such a. It's just when I feel like when your ten year old learns how to jump, some people look at that and they think like, "Oh, god, that's kind of bleak." It's so great though. She's so happy and it's just progress is so non-linear with her it just comes and
0: changes and it's really fun I love this is the whole point of the good news segment is that we are in a community who gets it you know like I get my kid was jumping before 10 but I get it I get how exciting that is we can share with each other in in the little things and the big things because they're all important they're all important thank you for sharing that love it Larkin what do you what do you got what
1: well, James O'Leary is, has found his calling with dancing. This man Ooh. is like a. We got to get our kids together. I know, I know. love the dancing too. James is, he's taken dance class and um, he is just loving it. Memorizing the teen, he taught. He's fully included in a second grade class and he has taught all of his friends. At school, So I get videos of him and all of these kids doing the dance that they do in their dance class. It's adorable. So he is just super excited and happy about about finding dance.
0: What is his genre of dance? What classes uh, are you taking?
1: It's like a hip hoppy kind of dance. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So fun. My Yeah. My oldest, Macy, is a dancer. This is her calling in life. And I'm excited to see what happens with it. But it's fun when our kids find their thing or a thing yeah. that, that they love. And yeah. Macy started around eight. Eight years old is when she started taking dance classes at a a studio. Yeah. So fun. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Larkin. I have good news from a listener. This is from My Extraordinary Life. Hey, girl. This is my friend. Um, She lives in Northern California. She says, Micah had a dental procedure that took us three years to accomplish because of his fear. They didn't want to push it. Good news. He did it. Had a couple of teeth pulled while awake, and he was so brave. Micah, good job. Good job. And good job, Mama, because... Oh, I even reading the word dental procedure, I get all twitchy. It's, it's yeah. But that is good news. That is some good news, Micah. Thank you for sharing that. Listeners, if you have good news that you want to share with us about your loved one who has Down syndrome, or if you have Down syndrome I want to share some good news, you can head over to Lucky dot com and email us at Hello the Lucky Few Podcast. Go to Instagram at the Lucky Few Pod and then write us a direct message or comment in one of the posts there and we might share it here. Next week. All right. This is it, friends. We are going to wrap up this episode. Larkin and Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I'm excited for our listeners to hear this episode and then to reach out to you for more and more presentations to be taking place. And Larkin, I'm pumped for your TED Talk. We have to talk about that a little more. Yeah. Very yeah. Very exciting. Congratulations on that. Thank you. We're wrapping it up. Friends, um, we have a, a shop at theluckyfew.co. Co. Dot co, where we sell all kinds of lucky few gear, including narrative shifter gear. And for podcast listeners only use code podcast and you get 10% off your entire order. Yeah. And then thanks Josh Avis for editing this episode, Val Shalita for producing it and Ashley Fragalosi for managing our social media listener. If you like this episode, share it with friends and family. This is a great one to share with educators. Just go ahead and send it to your um, superintendent of schools while you're at it. And then don't forget after you do that to subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen, and then head to luckyfewpodcast.com for show notes and links to everything we talked about today. Follow us on Pod, and listener, you're doing a great job slaying it. Your kid, wherever they're at in their school system is amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And we love them. And we love you so much. Cheering you on always. We'll be together next week. Bye. Bye. That's it. (laughs) All right.